This is Alan Seaborn from Winning at Home. Welcome to In Progress, a podcast about faith, life, and how we grow. And before we get started on this episode, if I'm doing my math right of how many episodes I've recorded and when they're going to come out, this episode will go live on October 21, and that means that um, my book is probably, we're looking at kind of tentatively going to be released slash available on the website um, probably sometime by the end of this week. The plan at this point, which may change between when I'm recording this and actually when it's released, but the plan is to kind of debut the book at our uh, fall fundraising banquet for Winning at Home. That's on October 24. So I think it should be available for purchase in the days or maybe uh, October 28, the following week. But I actually have a copy of it in hand right now, Marriage Five Years Later. And so it's one of those things that it uh, it reads better, the title, <laughs> Marriage Five Years Later, than it says speaks. I don't know the word for that. But uh, when you read it written, it looks normal. When you say it, it sounds kind of weird. But you might remember I was trying to avoid that. I wanted to just call it Five Years Later. But there were a lot of people that were thinking it was a kind of a part two, a follow-up to my original book, Journeying with Pain, that I wrote about my health stuff. And to avoid some of that confusion, wanted to make sure that the word marriage was in the title. So if you're looking for uh, some kind of a resource like that, or if you know a couple who is about to get married in the first few years of marriage, what this book is, is a resource that, you know, I share some of the, some of the growing pains and some of the challenges and some of the missteps that Annalise and I made as we were trying to start life together and also share some of the things that we found to be effective, some of the victories as we figured out what it looked like for us to Uh, you know, stop living life as a me and start working toward thinking from the perspective of we. And so if you or someone you know is in a spot where you're early on in your marriage relationship or heading toward marriage, um, you should be able to pick that book up on our website in, you know, the coming days slash week for sure. So just want to give a little update on that. It feels pretty cool to actually have it in hand and to take this thing that was just a Word document on my laptop for so long to actually hold it. It's officially a book now. It's pretty cool. So uh, anyway, not trying to sell you on that, but if that's something that would be a helpful resource to you or someone that you know, love to send that your way. So feel free to get in touch. Uh, at winning at home or you can get in touch with me directly I guess and we can figure that out and so I want to now kind of share about what I've been wanting to share for this episode and I was asked to preach at a church recently they were 
I don't know if it was, I think it was in the middle of a series on kind of the book of James and I think it was Psalms and Proverbs, which initially seems like kind of a strange triad of books to combine together into a series. But what they all have in common, and I've talked about this before, talking about the book of James, it's called the, the book of practical faith or the book of practical wisdom. And that's what Psalms and Proverbs are too. Just wisdom distilled down, boiled down. You know, in Psalm and, Psalms and Proverbs, it's written in uh, more of a poetic way. And then in James, it's written in, I'm bad about literature, but I think it's prose, right? When it's just like regular written like a normal sentence. Um, And so they gave me this text to preach on. And I want to just read it first. And as you're listening, I'm guessing that you're probably going to have, I don't know about some questions, but there are going to be some things that are jumping out at you and you're going to go, hang on a second, I thought this. So James chapter 2 I'm going to read verse 14 through verse 26. So it's going to be a pretty decent chunk of this passage, but I want to encourage you to not tune out, to not zone out, to pay attention because there are some things in here that I think are going to pique your interest as we read through and as you follow along. So James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, Like I said, I'm guessing that as I read through that passage, there were some things that were 
popping up in your head and you're going, hang on a second. I thought that, you know, what I remember from catechism or remember from learning about the importance of faith, I remember reciting by faith alone, through Christ alone. And this reminded me, as I read through this passage, of a time I grew up, I went to a Christian high school, and I can't remember, I think it was probably sophomore, junior year, in our Bible class, our teacher asked us all for our homework. I I guess if it's homework, he didn't ask us. He told us the next day to each bring in a Bible verse about faith. And so most of the people brought in some of the verses that you would imagine. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Someone else, Hebrews 11.6, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Ephesians 2.8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And I wasn't trying to be difficult. The first verse that popped into my head is the last verse that we read here in James chapter 2, verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And when I read that verse, (laughs) my Bible teacher was like, ah, shoot, I was hoping nobody was going to bring that verse in. And, you know, because it, what we're taught and what we think about this kind of distinction between faith and works, we think of salvation is through faith alone. And then you read this and it kind of feels like James is saying, Well, it's through faith alone and through works, through deeds, through actions, whatever word you want to put in there. And so when I got this text to preach on on a Sunday morning, I was like, oh, okay. I kind of (laughs) knew what my high school Bible teacher was feeling a little bit like, okay, this is a tough one to try to, in 25 minutes, to try to... um, kind of cover all the bases here. And so I started going through some commentaries and I I thought, you know, I wonder how many books have been written about kind of this not conflict, but on the on the face of it, it sure looks like a conflict. And I found on Amazon a book that is just called Paul versus James because we know A lot of the passages that we think of about faith are from the books that Paul wrote, from uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, you know, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, all these things that Paul wrote to these churches that are talking about faith. And that is how we're justified before God. That's how we're made right with him. And then we read here in James Faith without deeds is dead. And so that Paul versus James, that title of a book, it kind of makes sense, right? 
it's written as kind of a comedic, I assume, title, but it does kind of seem like these things are in conflict with each other. And so I spent some time digging into some commentaries and trying to figure out, okay, I, I don't think that these things are in conflict, but how aren't they or why wouldn't they be? This is a question that Christians have wrestled with for, at this point, century after century, right? So close to 2,000 years of trying to figure out, wait a second, it seems like Paul and James are saying different things here. And what many of these commentaries, many of these scholars who studied and tried to look back at the original Greek and see if there was anything, you know, that we're missing as we're translating these things into English. What they said is James is writing about living faith. And when you look back at this text, it that does make sense. He gives these examples of Abraham and Rahab, who Abraham is the father of the Jewish faith. He was a person who left everything that he knew because God told him to. And God promised him, Abraham, your descendants are going to be plentiful. And then Abraham finally had one son uh, with his wife. He had one son with uh, his wife's servant. But the, you know, the way they thought of lineage and the way that all that worked in the ancient world, he had one kind of true-born son. And this son, he, he heard God, felt God, experienced God telling him to go offer his son as a sacrifice. In other words, to kill his son. And... He took steps. He went and he was prepared to do this. He tied him up and he placed him on uh, the spot where he was going to make this sacrifice. And at the last second, God provided an animal for the sacrifice. And when we read through that, obviously there's a whole bunch of complexity and a whole bunch of questions that I'm sure are coming to your mind right now of like, wait, God told him to kill his son and that was a good thing that he was obedient there's a lot of confusion and a lot of you know some people say well maybe that's just kind of an example of how willing we need to be to obey God maybe that's an example of man sometimes you have to give up the thing that matters most to you in life in order to be faithful to God and however we kind of square that, however that makes sense to us, what James is saying is Abraham, he followed up on what God told him to do. And he says this was credited to him as righteousness. And then he says in the next verse, um, oh, sorry, no, the previous verse, he said his, his faith was made complete by what he did. And I love that line. I love that idea. 
Because I think if we take that away, not that's the only thing that matters from this passage, but I think that's kind of a a summary of what James is talking about here. Faith is made complete by what we do. And so what he's trying to help us see here is that our faith translates into action. And that's why James is called the book of practical faith or practical wisdom because he's always pushing for action. And I spent some time thinking about what this looks like, what action is when we're putting our faith into action. And I have an episode I did before that was called Do Something. That was episode 15. And there I spent some time talking about some of the things that are on a larger scale, some ways that we can look at the world as it is and take a look at Jesus teaching his disciples to pray the Lord's Prayer when he says, Our Father in heaven, your name is holy. And then he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is teaching his disciples that when we pray, and he's teaching us by extension, that when we pray, our prayer is, God, the way that things happen in heaven, the way that your kingdom and your will is just immediately what heaven is, we want that same reality to exist here on earth. And in that episode, I talked about on more of a global scale what it looks like to partner with God in bringing his kingdom to life more and more on earth. And so if there are some things that are kind of big picture things that you're going, I would like to get involved in something that in many ways is is so big that one person, this isn't really a one person job. Um, Go give a listen to that episode, number 15, do something. But in this episode, I want to talk about some of the really practical, isn't going to take a whole bunch of time even. It's the barrier to entry is really low. I guess that's the best way to say this. And so I was thinking through, what would it look like to just do something? Um, (laughs) I realize I'm stealing the title from that previous episode, but it's, it's the right title. It's what James is talking about here. Making our faith complete by what we do. And so I started thinking through some options, some things that we can do, and what would it look like to just put our faith into action. 
And so I thought of a few things that are practical, that are simple, that are straightforward, and that for the most part aren't even really going to cost us anything. It's just going to cost us time. So I thought about, um, you know, many places where I live, there are, that I'm aware of right off kind of the top of my head, there are three different um, local resale shops. So the equivalent of kind of a Goodwill where you can donate your old stuff. And these three local places, they use the proceeds, they use the donations, they use the sales to support ministries, uh, some local ministries and some international ministries that seek to partner and bring God's kingdom to life more on earth. And so some of them sponsor uh, schools in Africa and medical care. Some of them sponsor, uh, one sponsors an orphanage in South America. One sponsors a local homeless shelter. And so there are things that, you know, I, I think I've talked about this before, that when Annalise and I moved uh, into this new house about a year ago now, there were some boxes in the basement at the old house that were down there unopened from when I moved into the old house before I met Annalise. I think I lived there like six years or something like that. No longer, seven years, I don't know. But these boxes had been unopened in my basement from the previous move. And I said, okay, we got to get rid of this stuff. And one small, simple, low barrier to entry way is when you're looking at getting rid of some of that stuff, bring it and donate it to a place like these places that exist around Holland that sponsor local or international ministries that are making a difference. Another thing I thought of, you can um, mow, you can rake someone's yard, or we're, we're not there yet, but it is coming. You could shovel uh, for a single mom or an elderly neighbor. That's not a real exciting thing. There was a, <laughs> I actually, I, I'm thinking of this in the moment. There was a guy who, uh, he lived, I think it was one block over from me at my old house. And someone at the church that I went to knew that I lived in that neighborhood. And he asked, hey, can you mow this guy's lawn? He's, you know, it's hard for him to get out and do it. And he needs someone to do that. Would you be willing to just, when you mow your lawn, you pop over and you mow this guy's lawn. It's a block, two blocks away. I was like, yeah, sure. And the first time I got over to this guy's lawn in the, especially in the backyard, the front yard was pretty out of control, but the backyard was like, it was like an untended field. And so stuff was two, three feet tall. And it looked like you know, it's that mixture of weeds, but it's also like when grass really can thrive and just kind of do its own thing. And I'm in the back and I had brought my lawnmower. I'm like, that's not going to work. So I had to go back and get a weed whacker. And 
I was in the moment trying to remind myself like, okay, I, whatever, you know, Jesus teaches, whatever you do for uh, kind of one of the least of these brothers of mine. So one of the, um, you know, when you, when you think about that, one of the least of these, you're not saying like, well, these people are worthless, but you're saying doing something for someone who can't do something back for you, right? Who isn't going to pay you the big money, who isn't going to, you get this, I think, right? I don't know if I'm explaining it perfectly, but I think you get the gist. And so I'm in the back weed whacking this guy's lawn and I was like, man, this was a bigger task than what I thought I was signing up for, da-da-da. And I started to think of that teaching of Jesus, that whatever you did to help someone for the least of one of these brothers and sisters, you did it for me. And not to over-spiritualize this, but I'm back in this guy's yard thinking, okay, I'm doing this for you, Jesus. I'm trying to keep kind of a servant spirit instead of being annoyed or frustrated. Like, wait a sec, this is kind of a bait and switch here. This isn't mowing the lawn, you know, and I, I'm weed whacking and chopping down this stuff and some of them are thick and they're, um, you know, they're cutting me up a little bit and all that. And as I'm weed whacking, I just started laughing at one point thinking, (laughs) all right, I'm weed whacking for you, Jesus. And then I'm thinking, man, Jesus, you really let your yard get out of control here. This is this is kind of irresponsible of you. Like, this is a little bit crazy. You know, and I'm laughing out loud while I'm weed whacking, thinking about having this conversation. Jesus, I'm doing this for you. And then kind of thinking like, man, you really, <laughs> you really dropped the ball on do- taking care of your yard here. Uh you know, it was just kind of a, I don't know if that's funny to anyone else. It was funny to me, so whatever. Um, but it was one of those moments where I was trying to keep in mind why I'm doing this. Why uh, I'm looking around and saying something needs to be done here. And you know what? I, I can do something. Another thing, and this is kind of the the final thing that I'm going to highlight, but this list is by no means extensive or all-inclusive or any of those things. If you're looking for some other ways to plug in, like I said, you can listen to uh, the episode Do Something where I highlighted several different uh, ministries, several different things that kind of we look around and say, that's just not right. Something needs to be done about that. But I want to highlight this third thing uh, and kind of wrap up the episode with that. This, I, I can't remember. I don't think that I've addressed this at all in a previous episode, but I'm in a small group with a few guys and we're going through this this study guide that what it does is it kind of highlights these different aspects of our spiritual lives. And so some of the weeks are on contemplation. Some of the weeks are on acts of service. Some of the weeks are on reading scripture. 
and each week has kind of a list of 10 different things that we can choose from to spend the time as our discipline that week. And then we come back and we talk about it. And one week, one of the options under the week of kind of the acts of service was to donate blood. And I, that kind of struck me. I was like, well, that's kind of weird. But I thought, you know, I'll do that. That's kind of a cool thing. And I, I don't think I've ever donated blood. Maybe I did once like in high school or something. And so I found a place where I could do it. It's about 20 minutes away from my house. Head over there after work one day. And um, I'm sitting in that little chair hooked up. You know, they got the blood coming out and you're squeezing a little ball to kind of keep blood flowing, I think. I don't know. I'm, I've only done it twice, so I'm still pretty new at this thing. And while I was sitting there, I was going, okay, I'm doing this as a spiritual practice. And so I was just thinking about what it meant to donate this blood, to be uh, making it available and try not to overthink it or over um, hype what's happening here. But then as I was working on this sermon to preach, it was this past Sunday that I preached it. So it was about a week and a half ago now that this happened, but I got an email from the place that I donated the blood through and they said, hey, your blood is on the way to, and it labeled this hospital. That's about an hour and a half south of where I live. And said, it's on the way down there. Thanks for your donation. And I thought, that's really pretty special. Not to say, wow, I should feel all this way, but to go, wow, putting faith into action in that moment of, I mean, it took an hour out of my day because it's, I drove 20 minutes to get there, drive over there, donate the blood. They make you sit after to make sure you're not going to pass out, drove back home, took an hour and it didn't take much from me. I mean, maybe you're freaked out about needles. You don't have to do that thing, but find your thing, find something Find a way to do what James says. Make your faith complete by what you do. Putting it into action and finding a place around you, which this isn't hard to do, right? Where what you see in the world doesn't line up with God's kingdom being alive and well here on earth. And then do something about it. So the reminder from James in this episode is to make our faith complete to, as these commentators who study this passage would say, um, have a living faith. And the evidence of that, the completeness of our faith, uh, is found as we start to put that into action. So let's go. And even in some little, small, simple, seemingly insignificant way, 
Let's go put our faith into action.